what I what I expect in the next five to ten years is that it's become it's going to become more professional, better run, newer inventory, and it's going to become a little bit more mainstream and lose the stigma. Um, it'll still have the stigma in certain parts of the country, but it's going to become another asset that people talk about and people aren't necessarily ashamed to, to, to own, right? Because um, you probably know somebody that owns a mobile home park and maybe, and maybe just never told you about it because they were ashamed, right? But it was their best moneymaker or it was their best asset versus the apartment community that they owned or, or you know, whatever else, right? Um, and they might just not tell you that because it's, it's not a sexy subject. And, you know, would I rather own a class A apartment building and talk about it? Maybe, right? That's what's sexy and what people want to talk about. But, you know, I own the mobile home park down the street and it's profitable. And, you know, hopefully it becomes more mainstream. And the professional operators like me, um, we put money back into the community and we're not just worried about the bottom line. And, you know, we see the impact that we're making in the in the community that we're in. And I hope that continues because um, because there are certain in, certain ways where you can take advantage of the people as well. And I hope that doesn't happen. Welcome to Monumental, everybody. I'm your host, Evan Holiday, And today we have on the show with us, Mr. Ryan Grone. Ryan, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, Evan? Thank you for uh, having me on. I'm glad, uh, glad to finally be on and longtime listener. Yes. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And a little bit about uh, Monumental before we get started. We're really here to talk about uh, making Monumental massive change in the world. Uh, and interviewing and sitting down with rock stars, leaders, entrepreneurs, um, and people making change in the world, uh, just like Ryan. And so excited to share his story today. Also, before we dive in, uh, if you if you are listening to our show, if you love what we're doing here at Monumental, if you could please help spread the love and uh, like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever channel, whatever medium you're watching this on, whether it's YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, please leave us a review. That really helps us grow our audience and helps spread the word of our amazing guests and what we're doing here at Monumental. So with that, let's dive into a little bit of Ryan's background and then we'll dive into the episode. So Ryan started out working in the finance industry prior to getting into the mobile home park industry full-time. Currently his portfolio grows has grown to over eight parks, spreading over 400 lots across the Midwest and Southeast. That's pretty impressive, man. Uh, he also serves as director of operations for Buckeye Communities where he oversees the operations of over 500 lots spread over eight parks in Ohio and Michigan. He has been involved with almost every aspect of finding, running, turning around and refinancing and selling mobile home parks. So Ryan, with that, let's just dive right into why mobile home parks for you? Uh, why mobile home parks? So that's a long, long winded answer, right? But in the, in the elevator pitch, um, that is mobile home parks. And it seems like uh, when I first got into it, which was about six years ago, uh, now everybody wants to buy one. It seems a lot more popular than what it used to be. And the reasons being, um, one, the supply and demand and simple economics of the actual parks themselves. So good parks in great locations, there's always going to be a demand for affordable housing in America, at least right now. You know that firsthand, just like I do. The demand is 
through the roof in uh, more most uh, good locations, right, throughout the United States. Um, and then just the overall supply of parks around, you know, certain numbers, uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, there's about 50 to 60,000 mobile home parks in the United States, and they're not building any more of them. So if you have a diminishing supply and an overall uh, increasing demand in pretty much everywhere in the United States for affordable housing that's attainable, right? The average lot rent in our parks where people own their own homes is about $300. So very affordable. You could work, you know, minimum wage job, 40 hours a week or even less and uh, have a family of two or three and, and afford our lot rent, right? Because you only typically have to make, you know, a thousand bucks before, uh, before taxes to really afford our lot rent and utilities. So um, that's number one. Number two is the overall financials and like overall just actual profitability of the parks. Typically for every dollar of revenue we take in, we're spending about 30 to 40% of that. So your profit margins are 60 to 70% before your, your debt. Um, and then also the, the stickiness of the tenants, meaning uh, the term mobile home is, is, is actually probably a bad term. It's more of a, it's more, uh, they're not very mobile, right? Yeah, um, exactly. so, so we're, we're buying manufactured housing. Um, they literally are tied down and it costs about uh, five to $8,000 to move and set the home. So most of our residents that own their own homes can't typically afford um, to move their own home. So you're not having a lot of influx of, of turnover, right? Our typical turnover for most of the tenant-owned um, homes that we have is less than 5% typically. Now we budget for five to 10% just to be conservative, but typically it's less than 5%. And most of those are private sales to new individuals and the home stays in the park. Uh, the fourth reason is probably just the depreciation. Um, so mobile homes are, mobile home parks are mainly land. So the depreciation schedule is about 15 years. Um, so it's a little bit more accelerated, um, accelerated and uh, don't really have a fifth reason, but um, those are the high level information. I mean, high level, high level on why I like mobile home parks and why I think they'll continue to be uh, one of the hottest, hottest asset classes um, in, you know, 2021, 2022 in the future. Um, I wish they would start making more. It would it would kind of solve some of our affordable housing crisis that we got going on, as you and I know firsthand. Um, but you know, just like most people, I don't necessarily uh, want a mobile home park in my backyard. And a lot of that, unfortunately, still goes on in America. And um, that's it, it's a big hurdle to get over. So, yeah, you raise a great question. Um, I I 100% agree with you. I think a big part of the affordable housing crisis is, you know, people not wanting a development in their backyard. Why do you think it is that people don't want uh, mobile home parks in their backyard? And how could we kind of change that? How could we change the narrative on that? Yeah. So uh, most people don't want a mobile home park in their backyard because they think of a trailer park, right? So that's another common name for it. Um, they think of maybe eight mile or they think of trailer park boys or, and I'm, and I've watched all of those stuff. They're great entertainment. Um, but the actual dynamics of day-to-day -day life in most mobile home parks, as long as it's not in the, uh, in a bad neighborhood per se, right. We're typically buying in good to great locations, good neighborhoods, good school districts, all that. So setting that aside, um, let's say it is in a good school district. Um, people don't want it in their neighborhood because of the stigmas, right? They think lower income people, pit bulls, gangs, violence, all the stuff, hookers, prostitutes, all the fun stuff, right? And meth. I mean, and that stuff exists. Don't get me wrong. Um, but 
typically on the whole, it doesn't exist. Most people, it's just affordable housing. People that work at uh, Walmart, McDonald's are on social security, retired. You know, they, it's, they're starting out in life. They're retiring. That's what it is mainly. It's just affordable housing, clean, safe, affordable housing for people to live. Um, another reason, which um, it, it's, a, it's an even bigger hurdle to get over, is the actual development aspect of it is um, they're not real, um, from a city's perspective, they don't drive a lot of taxes, right? Because you have the land, right? So you have the, that tax value, but then the actual homes themselves is personal property, not real property. So the tax basis is not super high because the cost is maybe, you know, on a new mobile home might be 40 to $60,000. So the taxes on that is maybe a few hundred bucks a year, right? Versus if they built a single family home that maybe is two to 300,000, that right. tax that tax revenue is greater and the person living in the mobile home is doesn't make as much money as what the um person maybe living in the two to three hundred thousand dollar home is so the use of the land is typically um not uh its highest and best use right from the city's perspective so that's why mobile home parks um have a harder time being developed um now that is changing in certain cities uh, they see this as an opportunity. They see that it's the, the right way forward, aside from some other uh, asset classes like apartments and, and um, certain developments, um, but it's changing. But it's a higher quality of resident. It's a higher quality of home. And we're, we're trying to put a better name on it because we do need them. Um, uh, and I would love to be involved in development one day as well when it comes to parks. So, I love that. Yeah, I think... You did a really good job of breaking that down. And I completely agree from my experience on the, you know, the affordable housing side, the new construction development of uh, affordably priced housing. It has such a bad rap to it. And people don't realize that, you know, the the people in their community, the policemen, the firemen, the the teachers, the, the retail workers, um, the secretaries, like everybody that we rely on on a daily basis needs likely needs affordable housing and there's many different forms of affordable housing whether it's mobile home parks whether it's um, new construction mobile home parks whether it's um, older mobile home parks that are maybe being fixed up like what you're working on um, whether it's new construction affordable housing what we're doing whether it's build to rent communities whatever it is there's many different facets of affordable housing but people don't realize that that is massively needed uh, and, and to what you're saying earlier, too, I think they, they think it's needed, but they don't want to be a part of the solution and say, hey, you know, I'd be OK with something like that going in my backyard because people have negative stigmas around what it is. They think it's eight mile. They think it's the trailer park. You know, they think it's like the hood. And there, like you said, there can be places like that. You know, it would let's not be naive to that, but also know that there is. Um, quality development, quality operators like yourself who are taking care of your community, that are enhancing the community, that are making a better um, living experience for the residents. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely um, it's a tough subject sometimes because a lot of I mean even taking over an existing park that might be nice is uh, is sometimes. Um, the city doesn't want it there. They want to bulldoze it and they want to put something else there. Uh, they really do. Most of the times, uh, and it, it's just, it's a whole nother business aspect and a, and a whole nother, um, 
you can't really underwrite for for stuff like that, right? You can't underwrite when you're buying an existing property uh, for things like the city, what they're going to push back on, because they might tell you something during due diligence, but when you actually go and uh, file for that permit, right? Um, they may throw the throw the book at you and say, well, there's all these code violations or you can't do it based on this, that, and the other. Um, so we try to do all that ahead of time and during during due diligence to know that we can- Before you even buy the community. Correct. So therefore we know we can upgrade the community with um, either rehabbing homes, existing, existing homes, um, or we bring in new homes, um, which definitely upgrades the quality of the community. Um, or we bring in used homes that are a little bit newer um, to, to replace, you know, the dilapidated um, older stuff. So that's been run down. So. And how um, to that point, uh, what other things are you doing within your community to, to add the value to your residents, to make it a nicer community? Um, you mentioned taking care of or updating existing units. Do you add any sort of amenities or, or common area space? So typically what we do, um, we're typically buying. So in the park world, there's uh, one to five stars. So five stars has all the amenities, clubhouse, pool, playground, shuffleboard, all that fun stuff that your grandma probably lived in in Florida, right? Um, that's what you're thinking when you're thinking five-star park. We're buying family parks typically. So two to three-star parks and we're upgrading them a little bit. Um, so we don't always add amenities. Typically it's more of an insurance liability. So we may add like a common area. Uh, depends on the demographics of the community. Sometimes we'll add more of like a like a barbecue pit, or if there's more kids, we might add a you know um, a playground, or we might upgrade the existing playground. But typically, what we're doing from a from an upgrading standpoint is um, we're upgrading units, we're upgrading infrastructure, we're upgrading the roads because if we own the roads, because believe it or not. Um, a, a lot of times, you know, an upgraded road, people just want smooth roads, even in the city, right? You and I want smooth roads and yep. living, living where I was from and, and where I lived in Cleveland, uh, it's, those roads are atrocious um, and they're terrible. Um, but, so, you know, you might not think that it's a lot, but it goes a long way, right? So, and um, because we're family parks, if there's a pool or if there's um, a clubhouse, yeah, of course, we're going to upgrade that stuff and then make sure it's nice and clean for people. But overall, most of our parks don't have amenities, and um, we typically just like to upgrade things with the entrance. Um, we allow people to, you know, pop, make plants, put put bushes because they own their own home, right? So they they uh, they park next to it. We allow them to, um, you know, put fences up if they want. We typically don't allow that too much, but it it doesn't sound like a lot of like. Um, you know, uh, like a lot of value per se, right? To, to a lot of people that don't that maybe necessarily think about it, right? Because you're not like, because you and I might want something different than what they want um, or somebody else might want something else. So most of the time we're just making the community look really nice from an aesthetic standpoint, from road infrastructure and bringing in new homes and cleaning up all the trash. Um, and then that goes a long way, believe it or not, in my opinion, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, just having an owner operator who cares about the property and actually pays attention to the details, like you said, like just paving the streets. Like if you if you have residents coming into a community and you expect them to respect the community and be proud of it, you also have to pay attention to little details, especially like you said, like like the entrance or coming into the community. I mean, you're setting the stage for where these people are are calling home and and wanting to be proud of. Um, so to that point, 
Um, have you ever come across like being able to add more units to a site um, and being able to, you know, add more affordable housing units or more mobile home park units that way? Yeah. So uh, we've come across it. We just haven't executed on it yet. So uh, typically most mobile home parks are licensed. Let's say it's licensed for hundred spaces. Um, those are developed paths. Typically they could also, their license could be for 150, but um, they only have a hundred pads existing. So we have, I have two or three parks like that now um, where we have, let's say it's uh, where we have like 80 developed sites that were licensed for hundred. Um, it's a longer term play for us if we do do that because there's typically a lot more to do on the front end. Um, so to answer your question, no, I haven't executed on it, but I do have it in my current uh, portfolio stuff. Um, I've been involved with it somewhat, but not uh, hand-on like redeveloping something and adding more existing units. Um, one of my business partners has done it. So I kind of know the ins and outs of doing it. Um, yeah. it's, just a lot of, it's just a lot of paperwork and then, um, it's just coordinating a lot of stuff because it's, you got to get permits, you got to have hearing meetings, all that fun stuff. Yeah. And then um, it's also fairly costly. So it's got to make sense um, for that specific deal as well. So, yeah. And, and I can um, definitely attest to my experience. It's like, you know, if you're going to build 20 units or you're going to build 200 units, it's the, almost the same amount of work and the same amount of time. And so there is diminishing returns. <clears throat> that aspect and and sometimes you'd rather you know also focus on what you're good at and and stay in your lane of acquisitions um because development is like a whole nother beast mm -hmm. uh, and it's almost like a whole different business type but it is a great value add for you your investors and the community and the residents if you can add you know bring on more units within the existing community um Correct. yeah and, and to that point, you mentioned like you want to focus on or you have focused on uh, family oriented or family uh, um, mobile home parks. Why choose that niche? Uh, I guess that's just kind of what I found myself in by any uh, like this is what I'm going to buy. And uh, it was mainly just what was available, right, asset wise and what kind of deals crossed my desk and what made sense. Um, I would, you know, I'm, I would, uh, I've just found myself in that kind of uh, going forward, probably because of opportunity, right? So overall, uh, there's more family parks than there are like retirees or five-star parks. And of those five-star parks or retiree parks, um, a lot of those have already been um, uh, like bought up by a lot of the REITs, right? So a lot of the ELS is a big REIT. Um, Sun, Yes Communities, they've already been bought up by professional investors. So it, a lot of the opportunity is just not there. So that's why I found myself there. Um, and plus, I, it, it also gives you a little bit more um, uh, availability, right, uh, to, to, um, to provide a better impact to your community via affordable housing, to be honest, as well. So because a lot of the older 55 and older parks and the five-star parks, the people are not necessarily living there because they want to, or sorry, not because they have to, because they want to versus the family parks that I'm in. The people have to live there because they need somewhere to live because their job's 10 minutes away. They're in a good, good area, good school district. They, and they also typically want to live there, but um, that's not always by choice. So. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think um, that's something I, I've read time and again with, 
within affordable housing and within the kind of the income band that you and I both serve is uh, a lot of families at that price point, they're, they're basically like, they don't have the luxury of picking the neighborhood they want. Uh, like they can't be like, oh, I want to, you know, out of all the neighborhoods in this city, I want to live in this neighborhood. It's like, no, they, they basically have 90% of the, the map of a neighborhood or of a city um, basically blocked out because they know that they cannot afford the price points in those areas. And so mm-hmm. they're basically, you know, their price point is telling them exactly where they have to live. And so <laughs> to that point, there's the affordability is basically pushing everybody to live in, in one neighborhood. And I think that is part of the problem too. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we definitely see that all the time because people call and they're like, uh, you know, uh, we can only afford this much. Do you guys do rentals? Do you do this? Do you do that? And we're like, no, it's kind of, this is what we do. And, you know, it's, it's not take it or leave it, but, you know, we don't really have a lot of flexibility just given, um, you know, our pricing as well for, for the market and um, stuff like that. So, and as far as you guys do, um, everything you do is you just own the lot not the actual mobile home park on the lot. Is that right? So, um, so we typically, so there's two business models typically, and there's also a hybrid and mixture. Um, so when somebody says a tenant owned home or a park owned home, so park owned homes are community rentals, right? Mm-hmm. Typically the, the owner owns them and they rent out the mobile home. And it's a true rental scenario. And if you bought a hundred unit park owned home community, it'd be like buying a horizontal apartment complex. Because you have 100 rentals, 100, you know, AC units, all that stuff. So typically, in order to scale efficiently within the mobile home park realm and make uh, use of the efficiencies with the with the uh, just owning the land, where you're not necessarily in the toilet changing business, a lot of people sell them off as quick as possible, try to go to third party financing to where they're not uh, having rentals per se, uh, because it's less management headache in, in most scenarios. Um, Mm -hmm. because the benefits of having a mobile home park is just owning the land and people just pay you space rent to park their mobile home there. And you provide typically like the utilities, um, and you can even build, we build back for those typically, um, or the city or township might directly build the residents themselves. So yes, in my portfolio, we are, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but we try to get rid of all the homes as quick as possible. Um, and we want a fully tenant owned home community where the resident are homeowners. They are, um, they're, um, they typically, when I go into community, I want pride of ownership, right? I want people to mow their grass, take care of their outside, not have junk laying around, not have, uh, you know, they're, they're proud to live there, right? Because it's their slice of, uh, of housing. They might not be able to afford the 300 or $400,000 home. Um, and this is their piece of reality and, and, and they don't necessarily have to live in, um, you know, maybe a D-class neighborhood where there's maybe a slumlord or, or where they got neighbors and stuff like that. Um, vice, you know, a mobile home, living in a mobile home or an apartment, I would put living in a mobile home versus an apartment community any day of the week for our residents because they can park by their door, they got their own house, and uh, they can do what they want within their four walls, and they can make it how they want, they can rehab it, they can also do what they want on the outside as well. So it doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people, but uh, believe it or not, most people that I've, um, there's nothing wrong with living in apartments. I live in an apartment, um, but 
most people that live in the mobile homes would price point wise, they would rather live in a mobile home. So, yeah, <clears throat> I think that's really well said. And, uh, and I also think to that point, uh, mobile home parks is like one of the best forms of affordable housing that people are not really talking about, uh, or giving it the, the right, you know, light of day, uh, in the, in the right, uh, what's the word respect, you know, mm-hmm. um, as far as an affordable housing option, because like you said, this is, this is the, the kind of the lowest hanging fruit for home ownership, uh, and having that, you know, that, that slice of the American dream. And you can't, you can't get that with what we offer in, in affordable housing for rent. Uh, you know, what we do serves a great purpose, but it doesn't help people, uh, at least within our development, within our community, it doesn't help them get that home ownership. Our goal is to help them get there. Um, but yours at, at that price point, and also even if they buy like a used um, mobile home park or mobile home, um, that just gives them a lower barrier to entry to get into home ownership, take that pride of ownership and create affordable housing options that, like I said, most people are not talking about as a, as a actual solution to the problem. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it is, uh, um, something that, uh, it's, it's, um, it's just something that, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And if there's no pride of ownership, then, um, it becomes, uh, another form of, uh, land use because typically parks are for the lack of a, a um, they're typically, you know, there's better use of the land potentially, right? It doesn't necessarily um, mean that it, it, it's not needed. It means that, you know, most of the time that some, sometimes the land could be used better. Um, but anyways, with that being said, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, if you get back, if you get, um, uh, what, what's the word, um, out in front of your, like actually in the asset and actually talk to these people. Like I've, I'm an operator that gets out in my communities. Now I have on-site staff and on-site employees, um, but I actually talk to these people. Like they're w- typically one paycheck away from, or not one paycheck, but they live paycheck to paycheck. They're one, like their car breaks down, they need a new set of tires. They're one accident away from like literally not being able to pay all of their bills. And it's sad that that even exists in America. And um, obviously, aside from the financial aspect of owning parks, um, I really do believe that, like you said, mobile home parks are underrated um, and an under, I guess, not necessarily under respected, but it's just not something a lot of people talk about because they just don't think of it. And it's back to the stigmas again, that once you get past the stigma, my first park that I was ever in, I was like, what the heck am I like, what, like, why would I do this? And everybody thought I was crazy. And maybe I am crazy. Hell, I don't know. Probably am. But um, it's, it's, it's the last form of affordable housing that at, at it's one, it's typically the last stop shop for most people. So, which is not bad. It's good in nine times out of 10. So. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I love that. Um, and as far as, you know, you mentioned pride of ownership. We talked about that a couple of times. How do you think, or how in your experience with your prior properties, how have you seen that take place or, or how have you seen residents transform into a pride of ownership and getting to that point where, um, you know, your properties, you know, turning on all cylinders and, 
and it's doing well for you, your investors, and your residents have that pride of ownership? Yeah. So typically what that means is um, people typically already show that, right? When you go in, you already know who's taking care of the yard, who's not. Typically you have to not force them, but you just have to say, hey, here's what we're doing with the park. If it's a, if it's a turnaround park, it's already a yeah. stabilized, everybody's already showing that. What it means basically, for example, um, on my recent site tour and my park that I own in Lexington, Kentucky, um, a guy, when we first took it over, had no vinyl siding on his house at all, had no skirting, which is what goes underneath the home. It basically is just a, um, it's just vinyl skirting that goes around the home. So it doesn't show the frame of the mobile home on cinder blocks. Um, he, uh, over, you know, over the past six months, he's rehabbed the inside of the house. He's, uh, done vinyl, um, siding on the house and he's put in the skirting. And I know he's working hard. He works a full-time job and then he comes and does that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen him take that transformation. Um, we also offer, um, ways to, to get there when we take over community. We offer pretty much zero interest on, uh, we will supply uh, skirting, the contractor, and then we'll also supply paint. Um, we typically will supply um, like cleaning, like because most of the homes are metal, right? So nothing more than like a power wash with bleach and water will clean the, clean the mold and, and make it look good. And then painting a mobile home, believe it or not, uh, will make it look new again. And um, so we typically offer all those services. And then we basically go to the resident and say, you know, uh, what can you pay on a monthly basis? And, you know, normally it's 10 to 50 bucks, right? And we'll just have them pay that off typically over a year because on our end, what it does is it raises the value of our park. It might cost us $500 to a thousand bucks to do that per home. Um, but in the long run, it makes everybody's home look better. And the reason that they, they might've uh, tried to get there, but like we said, it's affordable housing. So most of the, most of the time they, they typically can't afford skirting or painting or a contractor because it might cost a thousand dollars to do that and a thousand dollars to somebody that lives paycheck to paycheck yeah is a lot is a lot of money um so we typically offer those once or twice a year typically it's in the spring um because we own in certain states where it's not warm all year round um where there's snow potentially so you only have spring through summer to really do it um so we offer those services um which which allows our community to look good and it also i can control uh, um, the quality of the home as well, typically, because we're doing it on the front end and then we'll bill it back over a period of time, but I'm not necessarily worried about the money portion of it. So mm, that is really interesting. That's, that seems like a win-win to be able to, you know, help finance and do improvements to their homes helps with a pride of ownership. It helps with the whole community. Um, that's interesting. And we also work, we also try to work with like local churches, local nonprofits, because a lot of those, a lot of the, the local nonprofits or fraternities, if you're in a college town or sorority, they want to help. They need projects. They got bodies. COVID has been a little bit of a, a workaround because nobody really wants to get together, but we're getting past that. Um, but typically in the past, that's what we've done. We're, we're large groups. We supply food or a cookout or something and supply materials. And we do community cleanups. They might clean some homes, paint some homes. Um, and then more skilled laborers will do like decks and uh, skirting and all that fun stuff. So I love it. Um, what about as far as like, what is your process of finding and acquiring new communities and, and how do you go about that? 
So um, it could come anywhere from, it could come from anywhere. Most of the time it's networking with other owners that I know. Um, and then also cold calling. That's been the, the highest, uh, um, I guess, best use of our time. I have a business partner. He, I let him typically handle the sales portion. We have a database because um, you're only as good as your database when you're sourcing off-market parks or off-market leads, right? Just like every other asset class, you build your database, you get your phone number, and you call the number and they say yes or no, or maybe, or you just follow up. The name of the game is typically follow up over a long period of time. We had an owner that took us more than a year and a half to close, like five different contracts. He said he was selling, he wasn't selling. Um, and, and Miles, my business partner, typically uh, handles most of that. And then I'm in there, you know, inter- intervening from time to time if I'm in town or just, just to basically touch base. It's just a touch base game, right? Because you just want to stay in front of them. Um, and that's what we've done. Also, I'll buy like wholesales from other people. Um, that's been an, a, a good source of reference as well. So I network with a lot of people. I offer typically, typically like a, like a, I don't do coaching or anything, but I offer, you know, an, a, a listening, a sounding board for most people. And I give, you know, my thoughts on it, right. Just from my experience that I've gained, because there was others in my life that um, did that as well. So, um, because I remember when I started out, I wanted to talk to somebody that had done it and what they thought on the deal. So that's how we're doing it. Um, brokers are also important, but honestly, I haven't bought a broker deal uh, through the nine or 10 parks that I've owned. So huh. it's mainly been like wholesales or off-market direct to owners. And a lot of times my favorite question is to ask the owner is, do you know of anybody else that is thinking about selling or any other parks that might be for sale? They Most of the times they say no, but sometimes they say, I think so-and-so is looking to sell. Here's his contact information. Or that park's kind of uh, really bad looking. You should think about buying that. Here's the owner's information. Um, and we've closed parks like that and we've gotten good deals and um, through that as well. So That's great. Yeah, I love that. That's a great way to get referrals. Um, as far as your uh, you know team that it takes to get this done, what does that look like? like the actual team components, like what's on my, who's on my team. So uh, my team is made up of me and Miles, my business partner. Um, I am the upper operational piece and the day-to-day, um, like basically managing managers per se. Um, and then he's doing like the acquisitions, the sales and like investor relations. We don't raise money from a syndication standpoint and we don't have a fund. We just basically active JV with people at this point in time. Uh, so he handles a lot of that communication, like our monthly emails, our quarterly updates, all that stuff. Um, and then we have a on-site or not on-site, but uh, on-staff uh, bookkeeper that does like all our monthly reconciliations and all that stuff. And then I oversee that just given my background in accounting and finance. I, it's, it's, most of it's automated, believe it or not, with our systems. Um, with rent. And then uh, we don't have a lot of expenses. That's the great thing about parks. We, we don't have a lot of expenses. So mm-hmm. most of it's just automated reoccurring bills and stuff like that. Um, I try to automate as much as possible. Um, and then when it comes to the actual property level, uh, we have on-site staff. Typically, depending on the community size, I will have an on-site manager. On-site means they either live there or they live within 10 to 15 minutes of the community. And they're typically there daily, whether that's for two or three hours or the whole day, depending on what we got going on. And then we might even have um, 
an on-site ground slash maintenance person that typically cuts the grass, uh, takes care of like little things like we have a water meter break or water lines leaking, um, or we need some skirting installed, just like little stuff, not major rehabs. They may do some major rehabs from time to time, but typically we use contractors or other companies to do that. Um, that's honestly, that's it. We're pretty lean. I mean, I don't have a, um, if, if I said, you know, I had a 20 person staff, I'd be lying. Most of the, most of my, uh, uh, personnel is at the property level. Um, yeah. and then above that it's me and miles and then a bookkeeper. And, um, now when, now you also need some scale to, 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 to hire out, right. It's not just buy one property and hire 10 people just cause, right. Um, so we're pretty lean, but we're also, we have a goal to hire kind of like an operational person. So therefore it allow, it frees me up so where I don't have to be in the day to day. And we, uh, we don't use third party management. It's all in house. So, you know, we're managing our properties day to day as well. So um, that's really it. I mean, pretty lean staff and uh, don't plan on changing too much, maybe hire one or two, but I don't plan on getting an office. I don't plan on, uh, you know, having 10,000 spaces or anything like that. I, I do have a goal, but I don't necessarily need to take over the world. So. I love it. Stay nimble. Um, one last question, and then we'll dive into our monumental questions. Um, where do you see the future of affordable housing through mobile home parks being uh, over the next five to 10 years? Hopefully uh, more don't get, demolished and hopefully more get built. Typically more get demolished per year than they get built. Um, so, um, you know any we're, stat on that? Like, I think like in 2019 or 2018, there was like 10 communities developed in the United States. Like, wow. I don't know. Like that's just some numbers that I've seen from other sources. I don't know if that's a legitimate number. It's probably from Wikipedia or something, you know, I don't, I don't know, but um, those are just general numbers, right? Five to 15 a year typically is what gets wow. developed. And then definitely a lot That's more get, get redeveloped or destroyed. Um, yeah. I mean, you can, uh, I don't know those numbers, but I know it's more than 20 to 30 a year. Because a mobile home park could mean anywhere two to three units. It's just licensed based on the zoning. So, you know, it's not always 50 space parks. It could be a two or three space park that gets yeah. demolished or sold or something like that, right? Um, so the future, uh, it's already happening. So the mobile home park space has a lot of mom and pop owners, meaning they have a lot of people that either originally developed it or they're the second owners. They either, either they're the dependents of the, they, they inherited from their parents, um, who developed it, or they're the second person that bought it maybe in the seventies, eighties or nineties, and they've owned it for 20 plus years. Uh, mobile home parks are unlike any other asset where people hold on to them until they're 80, 90 years old. Uh, most of our people we're buying parks from are in their 70s or older. Um, our most recent transaction, the guy was 77 and had 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 developed it or bought it from the original lady that developed it. Um, but anyways, the future is basically you have a lot of Wall Street money and professional money coming into the space because of all the stuff that I um, aside from the overall, just the financials of um, and the profitability of parks, um, it's becoming a lot more consolidated, right? So you have a lot bigger groups buying up here and there. And then even the bigger groups are getting bought by bigger groups. So what does that mean for guys like uh, me that we might have, you know, a few hundred paths, which basically on the overall scale, um, we're probably top, 
200 owners, right? 200, 200 in the United States, which is not uh, a lot, but we're not, we're not small. We're not big either. So we're kind of in that middle ground where we have a lot of room to grow before we, you know, are top 10, top 20. Uh, so you have a lot, you have a lot of money consolidating the space and they don't necessarily have the, um, it's, it's getting better, but it's cap rates are compressing. Um, I think you're, when I said earlier, you need to get out from behind your desk and actually go see your asset, talk to the residents. That's what, when I say it's consolidating and Wall Street money's coming in, is not going to happen. They're going to expect, they're just going to look at spreadsheets They're because I've been there and that's what I do as well. Um, they're going to look at spreadsheets, look at this, that, and then you're going to lose touch of the asset. And I think a lot of people potentially could cut corners, but I hope that doesn't happen. What I, what I expect in the next five to 10 years is that it's become, it's going to become more professional, better run, newer inventory, and it's going to become a little bit more mainstream and lose the stigma. Um, it'll still have the stigma in certain parts of the country, but it's going to become another asset that people talk about and people aren't necessarily ashamed to, to, to own, right? Because um, you probably know somebody that owns a mobile home park and maybe, and maybe just never told you about it because they were ashamed, right? But it was their best moneymaker or it was their best asset versus the apartment community that they owned or, or you know, whatever else, right? Um, and they might just not tell you that because it's, it's not a sexy subject. And, you know, would I rather own a class A apartment building and talk about it? Maybe, right? That's what's sexy and what people want to talk about. But, you know, I own the mobile home park down the street and it's profitable. And, you know, hopefully it becomes more mainstream. And the professional operators like me, um, we put money back into the community and we're not just worried about the bottom line. And, you know, we see the impact that we're making in the in the community that we're in. And I hope that continues because um, because there are certain in, certain ways where you can take advantage of the people as well. And I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's it's interesting by becoming more mainstream, by becoming a little bit more professional and mainstream, it could also have a positive impact as far as being more acceptable in the public eye. Um, yeah which could lead to people, like you said, being more proud of those communities and also more desensitized to this like terrible stigma around affordable house or not affordable housing uh, around um, mobile home parks. Yeah. So I think that that could be a great, a great thing for it. Um, as long as that is the kind of trajectory that it goes down. Yeah. Let's hope because, you know, most of the time the headlines are so-and-so is taking advantage of this trailer park and, you know, these residents yeah. are blah, 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 which does happen. Right. But hopefully it doesn't go that way. And I'm, uh, I'm optimistic about the future, not necessarily pessimistic. And at the end of the day, if I'm feel that it's overall pessimistic, I'll sell my assets and go from there. So. I love it. Well, let's dive into our monumental questions. <clears throat> what does success mean to you? Uh, success means to me, um, I think it means that you are not necessarily hating your day to day it means you're, you're actually envisioning your life and you're on your way to either living that or you're currently living it and that you're actually grateful for the situation that you're in. Um, and also, um, success doesn't always mean financial success. It could mean time success, health success, um, wealth, and also relationships, right? So if you're, you know, I mean, it's been proven in the headlines the last couple of years, right? The richest people on earth 
still get divorced, right? They still have people problems. They still have relationship problems. Now, is it better to be wealthy than poor? Probably in America. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but success means to me is, is kind of having a balance of all of that um, and just envisioning your life and trying to work towards that, right? And always bettering yourself, um, whether that's through reading, exercise, um, and just doing what pushes you forward. And then also, at the end of the day, it's all about, um, for me, time as well, right? If I'm not, I used to punch the clock nine to five, and um, I, that's still what drives me. I still envision sitting in my cubicle and just like thinking about where I'm at today. And, and sometimes that we take it for granted from where I'm at. I definitely see that, um, but, you know, trying to remain humble and, and that's kind of what, you know, uh, success means to me. It's, it's not a one answer, but it's more of a combined uh, answer overall. So. I love it. Um, what about daily habit or morning ritual that you have? You know, if I were to say I am a 5 a.m.er, I would be lying. Um, I'm not a, not a 5 a.m.er. I'm not a heck most days. I'm not up before 6:37. My dog wakes me up, right? I'm not like springing out of bed. I've always had a tough time getting out of bed quickly. That's always just been a personal flaw of mine. I work on it, but, um, so my daily habits are typically, it typically starts the night before thinking about what I got going on the next day. I typically will, uh, you know, check my schedule um, in the morning. I like to, you know, walk my dog in the morning, kind of maybe listen to a book. Um, that's kind of my, like, um, you know, my morning routine, right? Um, I, I do journal, but I'm not like a, a, a ritual journal um, person. I do do it. Um, I'm more of a, a thinker and a, like basically thinking about what I'm, what I got going on and where I'm going. And then I also put it on paper, but um, I journaled a lot before I kind of started this. And I still like, it's still just a daily habit that I do it. But, um, and then typically two to three times a week, I like to uh, um, think about where I'm at and where I'm going and just kind of being grateful for the most part. So I have daily habits, but I'm not like rigid about my daily habits and I'm rigid about my time, but not necessarily my daily habits. Like I do this every single day. Yeah. Um, Every day I walk my dog and I listen to a book or a podcast and that's probably the most consistent. And then just trying to, trying to get over a certain amount of uh, steps physically as well. So. Nice. Um, last question, favorite book or book you are currently reading? Uh, my favorite book of all time is probably um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that's where it all started for most every real estate investor or business owner. Um, it's cliche, but I have all his books. Um, but the current book I'm reading or I'm excited to read, I guess I should say is, uh, um, Tim Grover's new book, um, winning or the habits of winning. Yeah. It's, that's my probably most that I'm getting ready to start reading. So that's probably the most excited. Uh, cause I read his old book, relentless. And, uh, that's probably the one that I'm, uh, you know, most excited about, but overall books, I'm like a history book person um, or a business book. Um, that's typically what I'm reading and like, or autobiographies, right. Of like older guys like Rockefeller, JP Morgan and all the Theodore Roosevelt, like the classics, like that's kind of my, uh, they're boring and dry, but you learn a lot about just the times and, and cycles repeat, right. Business cycles, market cycles, and people are still people throughout time. The, the, the medium just changes. So, yeah, a thousand percent agree. I love it. Um, 
Well, Ryan, phenomenal episode. I got a lot out of this. I know our monumental listeners are going to love this episode. Uh, where can our monumental listeners connect with you or reach out to you or, or see what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms, uh, meaning I'm older, so not even that old, but I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I don't have TikTok and I don't have Twitter, uh, but it's just Ryan um, Groney, G-R-O-E-N-E. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And um, if you're, you can just private message me and um, I'm happy to answer questions about mobile home parks or just in general, just connect. If you're in Charleston, South Carolina, where I live, happy to grab a drink, coffee. Um, I guess for this public record, I'll say I'm vaccinated, but I guess we'll, we'll, uh, I'll wear a mask if listeners uh, want to. So, but South Carolina is open. I'm open. I'm happy to meet people. And we also have meetups here um, every other Friday. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. I appreciate you having me on. Um, Long time listener. And I'm, I'm glad I could help men and hopefully provide some value. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And guys take Ryan up on that. He's full of massive value uh, and he's willing to share that with others. Um, so drive down to uh, Charleston, do what you got to do, make it happen, uh, send him a message. And um, guys, one last thing before we leave here today, please, if you haven't already, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do it all. Uh, we would love your help in growing the word and growing the mission behind Monumental and helping make monumental massive impact in the world. Uh, So guys, with that, have a monumental day.